Hi, it's me, Chisara Asamoga, the host of the Joywell Conversations. I come to you before the episode to give you a fair bit of warning, as it would happen in the world of podcasting and radio broadcasting. We had some sound issues with this episode, but I thought it would be important to air it anyway because of the content of the conversation that I had with our featured guest for this week. I think you'll get the gist of it and you'll see why I wanted to air it. The second thing is, at the end of the broadcast, I paraphrase a quote that I'm about to read now, which I thought would be important to hear at the top of the episode, just to have it in the back of your mind as you're listening to the conversation that I had. Here's the quote. It's by Miriam Hasna. It came up in our conversation, and it says, A healer does not heal you. A healer is someone who holds space for you while you awaken your inner healer so that you may heal yourself. And with that, here is this week's episode of the Joywell Conversations. Enjoy. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Joywell Conversations. I'm your host, Chisara Asamoga, and on today's episode, Levon Proverbs Briggs, aka Pastor Bay, a body and sex positive preacher, writer, transformational speaker, and sister friend, joins me at the Joywell. She's the founder of Beautiful Scars, a healing center and storytelling agency focused on fostering pleasure and resiliency. Pastor Bay has been featured in Essence Magazine, Cosmopolitan, and The Washington Post. She's a New York City native and is currently based in Atlanta, Georgia. So you ready? Got your tea? Awesome. Let's welcome Pastor Bay to the Joywell. Well, thank you for coming to the conversations. Hey, to the Joywell conversations. thank you for having me. I'm so delighted to be here. It's so funny that we're having this conversation today because a friend of mine literally on our WhatsApp group chat sent three of your most recent tweets. Like we had never talked, like she doesn't know I know you. She was like, this person is on, like I love what she tweets. And I was like, oh my God, isn't that so funny? What a coincidence. That's my friend. Yeah, Yeah. alignment. You know? Something is happening. A portal has opened. Exactly. um, Since I started to, first of all, question like my faith in the Bible. Talk about that, that's, yeah. when we met, I was very evangelical, mm-hmm. very fundamentalist, mm-hmm. you know, handing out tracts on the street, trying to save people's souls. Yes. Like I was doing all I know. That. <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I started having these questions about like the Bible and I would bring it up at church and they'd be like, well, you know, the scripture says, I'm like, I know what the, what the scripture says. I'm like, how do we get it? Like who wrote this? Yes. Like, what was going on? Right. And so that's um, started my discernment process around seminary. And uh, I had a, a really good friend, Sean, who was at Duke Divinity School. Mm-hmm. And I went to visit him and he took me to class with him. And they were talking about theology and chattel slavery. Like, what is the theology of the auction block? And I was like, well, people what? are having these conversations. Right. right. Yeah, it really just opened my eyes. So when you think about like um, Black liberation theology, yep. Dr. James Hal Cone, when you think about womanist theology mm-hmm. and of our Reverend Dr. Katie Geneva Cannon, like right. those were the frameworks that gave me the language 
to then ask the questions that I had so I can then do the research. You know what I mean? Yes, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, taking a posture of inquiry was really what jumped things off for me because my faith has been an integral part of my life. I grew up in church. I'm a great right. Christian. Um, but when it comes to having these visceral experiences, mm -hmm. people did not know how to help me work through that. It was almost as if, you know, growing up in an Afro-Caribbean family, mm -hmm. like very colonized, Jesus right. was white, <laughs> right? That they stifled their own spiritual gifts because they were stifling yep. their true spirituality. So mm -hmm. I unstifled, okay? <laughs> I unstifled and that's, that was the beginning of my journey. <laughs> It's so funny because at the same, at the time that we, we met, I was very much involved in a, in a Pentecostal and to a certain extent fundamentalist um, idea of mm -hmm. Christianity. Yes. Yeah, and what I loved about it, though, was that it felt like an extension of something my father had said, which is like, you want to always know the truth, just stand in the truth. Mm -hmm. So that felt mm -hmm. to me like, oh, we're talking about it. We're talking about the names. We're talking right. about like, you know, that Christ wasn't white, you know, like all of that right. kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah. okay, this is it. This is it. But at the same time, as I was starting to discover like, oh, there's these spiritual gifts and what, what does right. Pentecostalism mean and all that right. stuff, I started hearkening back to, what would the Nigerians do? Hello? Like, honestly, I was like, because it just, there was just this gnawing at me yes. about what we were doing beforehand, how all of a sudden it just got squashed because we yep. were removing people. And like, you are Nigerian, right? Yes, 100%. See? 100%. It's your birthright. Exactly. And I couldn't understand why we wouldn't want to go deeper. In fact, there was a story actually that my mother told me um, a little while ago that I was so surprised by. Um, she said, yeah, you know, one day you were in the middle of the night, she said, I was out in the backyard of the mm -hmm. house and um, she came out. She didn't know why the, the back door was open. Mm -hmm. And so she came out and she saw me like in the middle of the field, in the middle of the backyard, just kind of wow. like sitting there. How old are and you? maybe four or five, couldn't have been more than six, right? Yeah. And she comes up to me and she, I, she says that she was just looking at me because she didn't know what was going on. And then mm -hmm. she was like, she said, what are you doing? You know, like just, <laughs> and I was like, oh mom, I'm talking to God. Can't you see him going into the sky? Wow. Right, and so I was like, so wait, there was something, there was something happening to this kid, right? Yeah. Yep. this experience that they were having, but there was nowhere from that time until much later on where mm -hmm. somebody could say that this was all right, number one. Right. Number two, this is some way that you can dig deeper. Like you can mm -hmm. look into what is that sort of spiritual connection that doesn't seem to be espoused in the Adventist church. That's what we grew up in. Mm -hmm. Or in Christianity in general, what was right. that? And that's, when she told me that story, that's when I started looking. And that's how you know it's yeah. and it's of God and it's good, yeah. right? Because children are so pure and so yes. innocent and like they're the closest to the spiritual realm. Right. They're the closest ones to God. That's why them babies laying in your lap or, you know, you're holding mm. them, they're looking past you and smiling and waving because they see spirits. <laughs> and we're like, who are you looking at? Who are you waving at? You know? Right. And so um, I'm actually doing a book study now with my mm. spiritual 
Bay Juju Bay on the spirit of intimacy, um, ancient African teachings and the ways of relationship by great ancestor Sabon Kusome. Mm-hmm. And she was raised in a West African village called Zagara. And she talks about how she, when, when babies are born, yeah. we choose our purpose before we're even conceived. So we are existing in the spiritual realm, in the ancestral realm. And then we're like, you know what? I got to be born August 7, 1982. Hey, Leo. I need to be coming of age when there's a global health crisis and a racial pandemic and people are reclaiming their African spirituality, right? Yes. To be there to do my part. And so she says that really all we have to do is keep remembering who we are. Mm. We have our purpose in mind before we're even conceived. We come to this earth and then our bodies, meaning this physical experience, particularly as black women in a racist, sexist, xenophobic society, our bodies forget. Right. Because we're just so focused on surviving. We forget the purpose. Exactly. Um, Our job is to help those babies to remember. And I I would push that even further and say our work is to help black women to remember is to help black people to remember who and whose we are 100 percent agree with you i woo that just moved inside of my heart mm. because i feel like especially for just looking at my my family my mom my lineage i i know where we came from right. and it's like i feel like i'm the storyteller like a lot of times yes. in my family they are like oh yeah you're the historian there's something that the historian knows but it's yep. also purpose to remind, right? Yes. Like this is where we were, right? Mm-hmm. This is who we are. This is who we were before X, Y, and Z. Let's always remember right. that. It's like the thread. And I'm like, right. oh, I see that even more now. Right. Like, and more you're the real. You're the keeper of the yeah. story. Yeah. Because we come from a very oral mouth, oral auditory ear. Mm-hmm. Storytelling is in our nature. That's why we loud. That's why we use our hands. <laughs> Right? That's just who we are. Right? The more I learn about what African life actually means, like on a day to day, the more I'm like, oh, I'm African. I'm not black, right? Like that doesn't exist. You could argue that, oh, the RBG flag, right? But that's pan Africanism. I'm like, that's not African. That, yeah, exactly. Black is made up, race is a social construct. Thank you. It wasn't introduced until the 18th century. So. We're living our lives based on this made-up bullshit. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. This is the part that, oh, my God, you do not understand. Like, every <laughs> tweet that I make now where I have to put, where not that I have to, but I'm trying to qualify Black, I'm like, this mm. is just not working anymore. Not working. You know? American doesn't work either. Because when you say American, the white folks are American. Everybody else is hyphenated. African-American, right. Asian-American, right. Native. Native American. Native means indigenous to this land. America! My guy, my lady, my non-gender conforming person, what are you doing? So for me, nice. I, I love African and American, mm-hmm. um, but I really resonate with just being melanated or African descended. Yes. Or African. Yeah. Oh, I like the melanated. Because, you know, there's variations to this, yes. but it's what makes us so juicy. And- exactly. We are extra rich. Yes. Mm. Like the soil. I feel you. <laughs> I love being black. I know I, I say African, but I just love being black. There's nothing else that I would want to be. I'm Ever. a woman. 
like being a black man, you know, I might have my little bop, get my waves going, you know, a little shape up, but it's just something about being in this body, honey. Exactly. And free in it. Free in it. And, oh. and that is what my spiritual journey has done for me. And that's what African spirituality has done for me. I wow. um, just discovered mm-hmm. that my Orisha head, and Orisha is a deity, you know, from yes. uh, West African traditions, for listeners who may not be familiar. Um, and so there's a pantheon of like seven major figureheads. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am a daughter of Oshun, who is the goddess rivers yes she's very powerful very by any necessary you know she's the deity who was has experienced like the worst you know exactly for scrapping fighting standing up to men right Mm -hmm. the more that i learn about her the more i'm like this makes sense yep as i as i really hone in on my messaging right Mm -hmm. um she's out of huru Yes. Uh, and yes. that we hone in on it. It's for us. It's mm-hmm. for black women and yeah. black and black people. Yeah. And to support us. Because the fact of the matter is, is that if the poorest, queerest, trans black girl mm-hmm. is flourishing, you can best believe everybody else is thank you. Thank you, know? you. And so that's that liberation model. Yeah. I love that. We're only as strong as our weakest link, right? Yeah. We're only as free as the most incarcerated person as the most oppressed person, the most disenfranchised, right? So that's, that's the missing link with people who are like, it don't take all that and they right. still want their colonized religion and they want to assimilate and they just want their nice house. And I, like, that's not even what we cared about. Yeah. <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. You no, know? and when you're wasting all that energy chasing consumerist things and notions, your energy is being diverted from your purpose. You have forgotten. If that is all that you care about, is getting, getting, meaning, mm-hmm. possessing, that's colonized language. Exactly. Incredible, right? Her light in this world is so timely. On top of this expansive understanding of self and self-awareness that she brings to the table through a spiritual and faith-based lens, she is a storyteller. And like I said in the introduction of this episode, she is the founder of Beautiful Scars. So I wanted her to talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, so Beautiful Scars is a storytelling agency, uh, healing-centered, focused on fostering pleasure and resiliency. And it came out of, you know, this really beautiful oratorical skill that I have yeah. around storytelling. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a preacher, I'm a poet. I was mm-hmm. a slam poet and a spoken word artist for a number of years. And so, fierce. Always, thank you. <laughs> um, and that's where Proverbs comes from, actually. Right. Remember um, AJ? Yes. Yes. Oh, that was AJ. Yes. Who he and I met at Top's Diner in Newark, New Jersey. Okay, that's random. Next to each other, because it was a bunch of us that were out, like, uh-huh. after the play. I was there to support my friend Christina, who was a cast member. He uh-huh. and I were sitting together to each other, having this great conversation. So wait, y'all didn't know each other before the play? Uh-uh. Oh, no. Okay. I it's thought like- y'all all knew each other. I thought I was meeting a group. <laughs> No, I met him that, it was like a Sunday night, I want to say. Wow. Like literally around this time in 2009 is when it happened. 
And so AJ, very talented, very sweet person. Yes. And, yes. Um, and so we were chit-chatting. He's like, so what do you do? And I was like, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a poet. He was like, well, cool. Um, do you want to do some, do you want to open for the play on Saturday night? And uh, I was like, sure. So he called me a couple days later and he was like, you have your pieces memorized, right? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, no, I did not. <laughs> so I just spent the rest of the week doing this like, you know, rote memorization. Just like, I get it down, got to get it down, got it down. It was amazing. That was really what launched my, um, my spoken word ministry, right? Yeah. In church and they were like, oh, come to my church, come to my church. And right. To the Bay Area for an internship you know, the Bay is like 2% Christian, like, oh, just out there like atheists or practicing other things, which is fine. Right, right. Every path is valid. Every path is valid. I was really deeply concerned because it felt like all the poets who got up to talk about God were like, God doesn't exist and God ain't shit and God isn't real. And I was like, okay, can we have a more nuanced conversation? Right. Like, you're allowed to say that you're mad at God because your mom died of cancer and you Mm -hmm. were praying. 100%. Right. You know, you're allowed to you're allowed to be angry. You're allowed to question that. So at this point of the conversation, we were interrupted by ringing doorbells and sirens. Typical New York sounds. <laughs> then when I got back from answering the door, it was groceries delivered in the midst of this pandemic. We got to talking about music uh, and the music of the Heights, Washington Heights, and how A lot of the music that I would hear late into the night, sometimes two, three o'clock in the morning, reminded me a lot of the music that I had heard growing up, except that the language was in Spanish, not Igbo, not Yoruba, not any other West African language that I'd ever heard of. So we started talking a little bit about heritage and music, finally getting back to the story about AJ because, you know, That's how conversations with your girlfriends happen, right? You start in one place and you get to another, but somehow it all comes back to where you started. Um, I found out recently that I am Sierra Leonean on my mom's side. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, DNA test. And no. I could totally see that. That or Senegal, one or the oh, other. And so I've gotten so many African countries, like since I was little, I've gotten Kenya, Rwanda, Uganda, Egypt, Somalia, Indonesia, Sierra Leone, like yeah. I'm just glad to know now. Yeah. You know, did you do 23 and me or like ancestry? What did you oh, no. So I don't <laughs> You were like, I was not gonna sell my DNA I, to the- No, I don't trust it. African ancestry yeah. is the absolute best way to go. Because black owned, okay, they destroy your DNA once they process your results, oh. and they can pinpoint you to an actual tribe in a country. It's not just like you're eighty five percent sub-Saharan right. African. Like right. Right. <laughs> you're Bantu. Okay, what does that mean? Thanks. <laughs> right. Like I have a certificate that's uh, that's like you are a one hundred percent matrilineal match. With the, Tem- with the Timna people in Northern Sierra Leone. So I can go back and be like, Timnas, where y'all at? Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. No, congrats. Thank you. So yeah, I'm real. So, you know, that brings up like, well, what kind of music is Sierra Leonean? And then I'm following like all these Sierra Leonean Instagram accounts, <laughs> like listening to the music. Oh, I like this. this is- <laughs> you know, and now I see where I am in like, 
the the cutesy kind of fun rivalry among the West African countries. Yes. yes. Who has the best jollof rice? Rice, come on, Niger, Niger. Please, so first lesson you need to know is Nigerian jollof rice. That's it. Yes. So yeah, any of the Ghanaians uh, were rice farmers. So. Yeah of my people got transported to Charleston, South Carolina. So even when you look at the Gullah Geechee folk, yes. those people are part of my heritage too. So now I gotta go to Charleston. Well, you know, jollof rice, just, just to be serious, at least I've read this in a couple of places, actually originated, I think, in Sierra Leone and not actually <laughs> in any of the other, I know, but it's still Niger, that's the best. <laughs> Hilarious. I, Jello rice is good. Even when I was going through my strictly vegan phase, like right. I found, um, oh, what's this Instagram account? I forget. It's like Nigel something. Uh, uh, some recipes, and there was a vegan recipe, and I was like, oh, this, yeah, and it was so good. People were like, this is vegan. I'm like, yeah. What? Okay. I, I, check it out. Oh, right. If you try to oh. that to a, a Nigerian function, they would be like, um, <laughs> excuse me. Ain't no meat in here. <laughs> I know, right, right, right. No, my, my family laughs. I used to be vegetarian. And they were like, okay, how, how can you be Nigerian and you're vegetarian? I'm like, right. I, I, I am. I exist. <laughs> now I'm like vegan, plant-based. And I'm like, okay, this is just how it's going to be. Let's see what happens. <laughs> like, what's wrong with meats? <laughs> I'm just not going to eat it. Like, okay. Uh, my big fat Greek wedding, when it, she was like, what you mean you don't eat no meat? It's okay. I cook lamb. And it's like, ma'am. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'll give you some chicken. Okay, what part of no meat did you not understand? You must mean you don't eat red meat. <laughs> That's okay. There's plenty of white meat for you to eat. <laughs> beautiful mm -hmm. that boy is a gift he is. man is a gift wow 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 okay so so beautiful scars you're still it's the center still exists so it, it started out as um a blog where i was doing these exploratory posts about theology because i was having all these questions about god and religion and history right just working it out and um it, it started to transform once i started uh, really studying black women's issues and seeing how much of our life is spent repressing trauma <laughs> um <clears throat> excuse me and so for me um it comes from uh, an elevator not elevator lord have mercy an escalator accident <laughs> when i was four years old wow. growing up in new york city um, in Queens, New York, my mom and I would take the F train. I know that F train well. Mm. And one day we went through Manhattan um, and with the E train. The E train lets you off at Lexington Avenue, 51st. Yeah. 
long escalator. So going up and I let go of my mom's hands to run up. So I run up and then I get to the top and I don't know if my shoelaces were untied or I tripped or something, but I fall and the escalator starts eating my clothes. And when something gets caught in the escalator, it's supposed to stop moving, but it didn't. So then it like starts to eat me. So <laughs> I don't remember a lot of pain. I just remember being really scared because like I can't move. Ooh. So, you know, FDNY came, pried me out, <laughs> and I went to the oh, hospital. I had surgery. I had minimal stitches. Like, doctors were like, we don't know how your child is alive right now, but. Twice! So, I had these scars on my left thigh and on my abdomen. And my mom was like, hey, you know, your 16th birthday's coming up. Do you want plastic surgery to cover your scars? And even though when I was in like elementary school, I was very self-conscious, like I wouldn't wear shorts, you know, people were always like, ew, what happened to your legs? Over time, it just became a part of me. And so I was like, no, this is, these are my scars and they're what make me me. And so when I started to think about our emotional wounds and our spiritual wounds, right? I was like, when we see, or if you were to like be meeting someone at a dinner party when phone yeah. is over, uh, right. <laughs> right. reaches for you know their knife and you notice there's a scar on, on their wrist, what might you say to that person? I might ask them, oh, what happened? Right. But more often than not, I won't. But like, yeah, if I opened my mouth, it would be like, did, right? I think that's what most people ask. And yet there are many of us who are walking around with these wounds thinking they're scars, but they're not healed. And no one's asking what happened. And so that's where I come in because I want to know what happened. Because you cannot heal anything that you don't reveal. So beautiful scars comes from our deep need for storytelling as healing. What? That is it. Yeah. Because I know growing, I know growing up, you, there were things you just didn't talk about. Mm. Experiences that if you had, you better go to the grave with it because you would be immediately considered an outcast, a pariah. Oh, there's something wrong with you. Not marriageable material, mm. not um, worthy of, you know, anything. Right. And that level of secrecy and yep. covering up and whatnot, it does nothing. Nothing. Anyone, especially as women yep. who... When you're talking about being in the church, mm. I have not, in my experience, both as a minister and as a person participating in the church process, mm -hmm. never felt like our stories were legitimized, right. recognized, seen. Like whatever we were going through just had to be, was like, you know, the tangent or the sideline. Oh, maybe we have a women's, oh my God. this. Actually, this really annoys me. I'm not no shade to churches that do this. All shade. <laughs> but here's some shade for you, right? So you have one day a year for the women. <laughs> or you have a women's conference. Mm -hmm. And it lasts for like three days. All the women get together. And to me, yes, at first I thought, oh, this is great. Someplace for us. But then I was like, why isn't this space safe enough for us to have these conversations in the open? Why? And then when you get into those spaces that are dictated for just women only, you still can only say certain things. Uh, Nobody wants to talk about, okay, but there's this guy who's in the church who is sexually uh -oh. kids or has raped one, two or three women or what don't want to talk about that. Don't even want to talk about, sadly, don't want to talk about sex. Don't want to talk about the 
the implications of having a being a sexual being. Right. So I, I got very frustrated and, you know, my, my journey has been somewhat different than yours in terms of where I'm, how I'm finding my peace around all of that and mm -hmm. how I create space for these conversations. To yeah. But girl, let me tell you. Listen, I know, first of all, every day is Women's Day in the Black church. Black Thank you. 85% of women. It's just that Black church is not, Black church leadership is not 85% women. And yeah. so that's why our stories are minimized and devalued. You know, that's why you hear Eve ate the fruit and caused the fall of humanity and Lot's wife looked behind her and turned to a pillar of salt. And Joel's wife was like, why don't you just curse God and die? And Mary Magdalene was a hoe. You need to be like Mary, the mother of Jesus. Okay, first of all, second of all, like. And third of all. All the, all the men in the Hebrew Bible are trash. Okay? Like, Abraham ain't shit. David ain't shit. <laughs> At all. But if you are a cis, hetero, black male pastor in the black church, you have been taught that God essentially has a penis, right? And that God is a man. A man, exactly. And, and you got to be patriarchal and you got to suppress women. Women ought to be quiet in the church. But it's like when you study the scripture in its context, not for your politic, right? Up, the Bible is a, an inherently liberative text. But it's the way that it has been misappropriated misrepresented, mm -hmm. um, used as an oppressive tool against women, black women, people of color, queer people, yes, disabled yes. people. Like, I, I believe that the divine is looking at us like, first of all, I ain't write that shit. Thank so you. sat down and wrote this. together <laughs> in a conference and said, well, maybe we'll pick this and we'll pick that and we'll put them together. Right, just Google the, the Council of Nicaea. Thank you. Where people picked which books they wanted to be. There's a gospel according to Thomas. There's a gospel according to Mary Magdalene. Wait, according to Ruth, there's all the... Oh. So we just have to realize that a thinking Christian is a faithful Christian. Mm -hmm. A questioning Christian is a faithful Christian mm -hmm. or Buddhist or Jewish, whatever you are, right? Uh, you, you cannot be so committed to dogma that you miss the move of God. Thank you. Right? Because these conversations that you and I are having, um, mm -hmm. we're having them because we're Black women who are creative yeah. and have access to digital storytelling tools mm -hmm. and so we create church we create sacred space right outside of this building this yeah. structure um and so that is inherently liberative for other people who are like this is fresh this is a spiritual community that yeah. like, i've started doing the proverbial experience on instagram live yes sunday mornings at 11 11 a.m eastern standard time we mm -hmm. have Libation, we pour libation, we do inspiration, we pull tarot cards, I preach, we do prayer, right? On Wednesday, you know, that's like the Bible study night. Right, 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 right. <laughs> Except we have a multimedia experience. We take, yeah. God, we talk about sex and sexuality. We talk mm -hmm. about oppression and liberation, like yes. all of these things that God cares about. So when, to, to wrap up this part, when we don't talk about sex in the church, I get why we don't, because we have a very sordid history with our bodies. Yes, we do. Uh, being enslaved Africans, the descendants of enslaved Africans, 
but sexuality is a sacred gift from God. And we ought to feel empowered to explore that, particularly as Black women, <clears throat> particularly as uh, Black women are often the most wounded around our sexuality. And so our healing comes when we get to release the fear and to say, what's possible? What have I missed missing? Let me lean into inquiry, right? We don't realize just how tight we hold ourselves against the things that we are most fearful of, against our own scars. And it gets trapped in our muscles. And we find ourselves wound up and unable to relax and allow. You guys have heard me talk about my yoga practice, yin yoga, and where the emphasis in yin yoga is not so much on the active push that you might be used to or think of in sort of the traditional westernized settings of yoga, but rather a settling and allowing into each pose. You see, we've been conditioned to believe that we must suffer and push hard in order to succeed, in order for us to achieve an impossible dream. And it's all a lie. And from a faith-based lens, from a Judeo-Christian perspective, they will say, well, Jesus suffered, AKA, you must suffer. Pastor Bay and I were like, if he suffered for all of us, what are you busy suffering for? If Christianity is your faith heritage and you understand Christ died for your sins, then why are you suffering and holding on to that suffering when that suffering is not your identity? I guess you could say that for any faith tradition, right? If your faith tradition is talking about how your belief in something should free you, then what exactly is still holding you? What's holding you back? Those are questions for you to ask yourself. Each of us will come up with our own answers. Certainly we will have guides along the way to help us, whether in the human form or something in the natural world or the spiritual world, but that's the question we have to ask ourselves about our own identity. Where is it that we're still trapped and bound when we've all been called to be liberated and free? Remember the earlier part of our conversation when we were talking about how our job is to help us remember where we came from and our purpose? The suffering and holding on to suffering as an identity is a distraction. And it keeps you from your purpose. Your purpose being the key to being your most liberated, unapologetic, joy-filled self. Because I like something that she said, um, that it's intergenerational. We've inherited this. So I'm thinking of Dr. Joy DeGruy's post-traumatic slave syndrome, right? Yes. Trauma is literally passed down in our DNA. And so something that's coming up for us may not even be something that we experience. It could be something that our great-great-great-grandmother, our great-great-great-great-great-grandfather went through, right? Exactly. So that's why it's so important for us to heal ourselves, particularly leaning into African spirituality, because when we heal ourselves, we heal our lineage. And that's what brings us freedom. Yes, that is so important. We heal ourselves, we heal our lineage. A new story gets to be told. Mm-hmm. Right. And who you are at the end of this book, right, is, is just 
a process of evolution for yourself. You don't have to just write one book. Yes. <laughs> no, I, I didn't have to say. I didn't have to stay a fundamentalist. I didn't have to stay celibate. I didn't, you know, I didn't have to stay married. The woman that I am becoming is a direct response to all of the decisions that I have made in my life to choose myself. That relationship with God has taught me rather than being a church going woman mm-hmm. is that I get to choose myself. It's like Dr. Willie Godwin says, when you choose yourself, you're choosing God. And that's what brings you joy. Right. So happy first. We're told everybody else got to be happy, and you know you got to be humble. Fuck being humble, okay? Yeah. The shit. You're the shit. We're the shit because of who and whose we are. And I, I, I don't, I don't think the world knows how to handle free black women, but they're gonna have to get used to it. Get used to it. Every day I write the world, not not even the world. Sorry, the universe, spirit, creator. Yes. supports my free, liberated, authentic existence. Because if all that supports this, you're good. You're going to have to stay mad. Be mad. I don't care. Because my freedom is priceless. Like, I, I know that sounds cliche and simple, but, like, there were times in my life where I thought I was free, but I wasn't really free. Ooh, girl, and I know what freedom tastes like, baby. Listen, <laughs> mm. there's no stopping. There's no stopping because you you lose the shame. That's what talking to my ancestors and embracing my sexuality has done for me. I have released the shame around my body, whether it's having a big booty, right, or being a survivor of sexual violence, or. Um, Feeling like if I'm lusting after a man, that's a sin. Like, no, that ain't a sin. God, that's normal. Wow. Yeah, that, that, that brings me joy. And our joy is not just resistance. Like that, you know, I used to say that. I'm not going to even lie. Yeah. But I have shifted from resistance to revolution. Because resistance implies that we're pushing against this thing. Thank you trying to just like get it to back up revolutions like no we gonna put some explosives at the base of the thing and we're just gonna blow the shit up <laughs> like it doesn't exactly um and so i'm delighted to see so many people having questions and you know reclaiming their spiritual practices and 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 really solidifying their spiritual bases because Look, there are some people who will argue with me about this, but I believe as African-descended people, atheism is not what we do. African spirituality is the foundation of African life. And as I desire to live an African life, my spirituality becomes the basis for it. Oh my gosh, what an amazing conversation. Okay, we're about to get into the lightning round, but I just had to pause because like, woohoo, that was a lot. Um, There's a lot to digest there. There's a lot of new thinking, new insights, some that may shift some of your own thinking about where you stand in your own exploration of self and identity and faith. Or maybe some of this is already like part and parcel for you. So that's cool too. Wherever you are on the spectrum, I hope it's provided some insight. So I'll catch you on the other side of the lightning round. Check it out. My joy well is being in my body and lavishing myself with love. That can look like different things on different days. So 
when I went to the drugstore today, I got my body syrup, my sugar body scrub. I got my Dr. Teal's, you know, bubble bath and, and just rest. Um, because particularly as a black woman who is recovering from hyperachievement, mm. I realize that so much of my restoration is in my resting. Literally. Yes. We think we gotta go on vacation, we gotta spend all this money, go on a cruise, go to this all-inclusive in the Dominican Republic. No, your ass need to take a bath three, four days a week. Put your phone on do not disturb. Learn how to say no. What's got you riled up these days? Oh, the way people do not protect black women when black women are always protecting other people. Boyfriends are killing us, doctors are killing us, police are killing us. Food deserts are killing us. So that's got me pretty riled up. <laughs> now I'm riled up too. Much. <laughs> All right. The elders that you listen to, current elders, to living elders. Living elders. Um, Mali Doma Patrice Ome, who is the widower of Sabonfu Some. These two, anything by any Some needs to be read. <laughs> I've heard this name before. Yes. Okay. The preeminent African spirituality theorists and practitioners. Um, we're talking about ritual. We're talking about elements. We're talking about spirit. Like, oh, it's just so life giving and so affirming. So yeah. Um, man, this is hard because so many of my ancestors are my divine. Um, let's say, oh, Dr. Angela Davis. She has been a breath of fresh air. I'm like, with Dr. Angela Y. Davis walking the earth, why are you talking to Sean King? Why are you talking to D-Ray? I don't understand why this is happening when Dr. Angela Y. Davis is in Oakland, California. still alive. <laughs> with still a long internet connection and a cute little library she's sitting in front of. Um, <laughs> any other elders? And then some elders in my community, like my Umi, Reverend Dr. Maisha Kariyamu Handy. We is the model of what it looks like to be both in the academy and in the church centered black woman in ministry um wow. I, you know i super super appreciate her so those are some of the folks i'm rocking with favorite go-to spiritual practice wow so i often find myself seeking direction right and not on like oh, should I wear a red dress or a blue dress today, spirit? <laughs> but just, <laughs> what is the next step? And this yeah. is something that my intuitive coach um, helped me with, is hmm. around right before I go to sleep, I ask my ancestors, what is the one thing that I need to know right now? Or what is the one way forward? Because what that does is, right before I go to sleep, you know, sleep is a portal, right? You're at rest, yep. you can have Visions, 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 yeah. Like it gives my ancestors something to do. And then I wake up with a vision, a dream, an idea, something, right? That I need to get to the next space. All right. Favorite book or book that you would recommend right now? Oh, so my favorite book is Their Eyes Are Watching God by Zora Neale Hurston. Um, the book that I would suggest people read right now. Ooh, um, what has given me all the things? You know, because we're talking about it, I would say Sexuality in the Black Church by Kelly Brown Douglas. Okay. Um, 
it's a little academic. Okay. But you can go at your own pace. Yeah. And for those of us who are really interested in exploring more of our sex and our sexuality, um, it helps give a historical framework for why we are the way that we are, and yeah. then some theological and ethical possibilities for how to move forward. Um, so if you're, you know, you're feeling like your conversation around God and sexuality has been insufficient, <laughs> right? Right. Church is a great place to start. Okay. No, I love that. I love that. You already said New Orleans is your favorite city in America. Your favorite city or go-to spot in the world? Ooh. Okay, so I have not been to Sierra Leone yet, but I need to get there. Yes, absolutely. And Bali is amazing. Bali is magical and mystical and like worthy of the hype. Final question to you. What would you tell your younger self about understanding joy now? Like what you understand of joy now? I'm going to do it. I'm going to see myself. Yeah younger 15 because that's when i had my little cocky streak mm. um, you are worthy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you are more than enough and you don't have to do anything achieve anything be the best at everything get all straight a's be president of this head toward god of that like you can chill you can chill and you are worthy to receive Right? Like, you don't have to do in order to receive. Uh, Lebron, thank you. Oh, you are so welcome. Incredible conversation, right? The spirit and energy of the entire conversation is so necessary. And many of the things we discussed in our conversation are things that we as Black women, as women of color, must insist on remembering. We must keep remembering what our purpose is, you know, and not be distracted by what they tell us about who we are, whose we are, where we are, where we're going. Like she said, we are only as liberated as the most incarcerated amongst us. You know, that's part of the impetus for the Joy Well, to create spaces where Black women, Indigenous women, women of color can find their own liberation can be in community with those who want to live an unapologetic, joy-filled life. In your quest for healing, in your quest for that joy-filled life, find the healers who don't see themselves as the be-all, end-all, but see you as the source of your own liberation and support you in obtaining that. That's key. Oh, and one more thing about the origins of Jalof Rice. Okay, so I said Sierra Leone in the episode, and I realized after a quick Google search that it wasn't Sierra Leone, it's Senegal, <laughs> and that jollof rice comes from the Wolof people. They are the originators, at least that's the consensus, they are the originators. So shout out to my Senegalese peeps for the jollof rice. That being said, Nigerian jollof is still the best. Thank you all my Ghanaian peeps listening out there. <laughs> All right, all right. All love. It's all love. But still. <laughs> Thank you for listening. And remember, love joy. Be joy. Live joy well. You've been listening to The Joy Well Conversations, a podcast of The Joy Well. This episode was written and directed by Chisora Asamoga 
and produced by Adanne Productions. Music is by Kevin McLeod. For more information about the Joywell, visit us at www.livejoywell.com or on Instagram at livejoywell. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, rating, or review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you.